This podcast is a service of South Canyon Baptist Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. For more information about our church, visit southcanyonbaptist.org. to pray a biblical text. So, how do we do this? How do we look at a text of Scripture and pray Scripture? What I'd like for everybody to do, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 23. I'm sure one of you in here could probably recite it, and more than likely you would recite it in the King James, which is pretty great. But is there anybody that would like to read this passage for us, the whole thing? Okay, uh, Kathy, go for it, please. beautiful passage, one of the greatest things ever written, I think, in, in the human language. So, in light of what we learned last week, let's think about the context, let's make some observations, let's dig into the meaning of what this passage is, and let's apply it. And then after that, I'm going to show you guys the method for how we pray. So, I just want to refresh us. Do you guys remember coma that Brent taught last week? I kind of gave it away already, but what does the C mean in coma? Context. Okay. Can somebody tell me what context means? What is the context of a, of, of a biblical passage? Say that again. Who said that? Yeah, what's, coming, what's come before and after in Scripture? So, uh, yeah, in light of this, Psalm 22 is, is I think, pretty important. Uh, in light of what's coming in Psalm 23. Good, good. Uh, what else is context? Maybe not in the psalm, but just in general. Like, what is context within a biblical passage? Historical context, so what's going on kind of in the timeline of history, whether it be uh, actual earth history, right? Uh, this is happening before Jesus has arrived, or um, within biblical context, so um, what's going on in the people of God at this point in time? Yeah, these are all really, really good. Uh, another thing is, okay, who's writing it? What's the setting of their writing. So particularly, we can find that out here uh, in Psalm 23. Um, this is a psalm of David. Uh, so David was a king. He's written this down. Uh, we don't know particularly maybe the context of why he was writing this, but it's a beautiful thing. Maybe he was in trouble um, thinking through these things. Okay, whenever we think about observations, what are observations within a biblical text? Things we just observed. That's uh, really insightful, Jacob. Thank you for that. <laughs> Uh, anybody else? Say that one more time. 
key points that jump out. Yeah, maybe some key words. What do you think the biggest word that jumps out within uh, this particular passage that we just read? Shepherd. Bingo. That's something that changes the whole way that we're going to observe Psalm 23. Because what it's talking about is there's this particular relationship that God has with his people, right? It's that he's his shepherd. Good. Okay. Anything else in terms of observations? Repetition. Yeah, we should see. Uh, is there anything that's being repeated? Because more than likely, if something's being repeated, we probably need to pay attention to it. Um, particularly whenever we think about Jesus' discourses in the New Testament. If he says, truly, truly, you better be listening, right? That's really important. Um, those are key indicators that you should be able to see within um, the text. Okay? Whenever we think about meaning, what are we talking about within a biblical text? What is a meaning of a passage? This is a tough one. I bet Josh Trapp knows this one. Josh, what do we talk about whenever we talk about meaning in a passage? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good answer. What does the text mean to the original readers? Because what the text meant for the original readers is supposed to be the same thing um, for us today. What we call that, if you want to get really fancy and show off uh, to your friends, and you can act like you've been in seminary, we call that authorial intent. Authorial intent is what the author intended for the original audience is what he means for the readers of the Bible today. And so therefore, what David was writing to the people of God, or to God, really, in Psalm 23, that meaning, that main idea, that thrust of the text, is supposed to be the same thing for us as well. Okay, easiest one, what's an application then of biblical text? How, how we're going to use it, yeah. What, uh, what were you going to say, Jacob? How, how to apply a text. Very, again, very insightful from our uh, Timothy Pastoral Apprentice. Um, yeah, uh, one of the things I like to say is, how do we apply, how do we bring to life that main idea, that main thrust to the 21st century? How do we make what David was writing to the Lord and to the people of God in Psalm 23, how do we bring that to, in context to Rapid City 21st century? How do we do that? So what we're going to do is we're just going to coma this passage very quickly, and then I think it's going to help us whenever we think about our method for praying the text, okay? So um, does anybody want to give me some contextual points, some contextual uh, clues that you guys see within Psalm 23? Yeah, what were you going to say? Say that one more time. Yeah, and want. So uh, that's, a, you know, a thing that we need to kind of notice is maybe, perhaps, David is in need in this particular passage. And you're kind of getting that from an observation, but that's good. Uh, what else can we know contextually about this particular text? It was written by David. What do we know about David, Coy? Yeah, king of Israel. Uh, the true king, right? And kind of depending on the timeline... He may have been the anointed king, but wasn't the king on the throne, right? So could be some different things going on. Kathy, what else do we know? Yeah, yeah. So there's a particular relationship that the writer has with the Lord. That's good. Yeah, go for it, Joel. Yeah, David had experience as a shepherd. So 
Uh, if we kind of know the story of David and what he's been going through, this is a particular relationship that he's keenly familiar with, right? Uh, one thing I want us to think about is whenever we think about a psalm, this is a song, right? David is singing this kind of song. And so a uh, little plug for my friends Shane and Shane, Psalm 23, it's called Surely Goodness and Mercy. You should uh, listen to that. But this is a particular praise to God, right? So that kind of makes us think about, okay, is there any meter? Is there any sort of rhythm within the writing? So um, does, you know, because it's a, um, <laughs> because it's a psalm, does it have a particular climax within uh, the, the whole thing? And we're going to talk about, when, when, talk about that whenever we get to observations. But um, I taught our students this. This psalm, I think, is a chiasm. And what a chiasm is, is a really fancy word of saying the most important thing in the whole psalm is right in the middle, okay? And so what we see, and I'm just going to kind of help you see this structurally, in verses 1, 2, and 3, we see, um, think, think of a chiasm as a Hebrew hamburger, okay? We have bun, right? Verses 1 through 3. Verse 4, most important thing, it's the meat. And verses 5 and 6, are the other piece of the bun. So the thing that the writer is wanting us to see and to know within this particular psalm is the most important thing that you should learn within this song is that it's in the middle because of the way it's structured. Sometimes that's not the easiest thing for us to see whenever we think about studying the Bible, um, which is why a good ESV study Bible um, will always help you kind of tell you, hey, this is kind of how that verse is structured or how this book is structured. Um, for some reason, they didn't make markers for us like the Hebrew people did um, to say, hey, like, this is, the, this is the important part, like exclamation points. Um, but we can kind of see it just even in how uh, the English interpretation has uh, broken it down. Good. So we've answered all the, all the contextual questions. You guys have given me a couple of observations already, but why don't we make three more observations? What are three things that kind of just stick out to us within the text? So we've talked about there's a relationship that there's a shepherd and this individual, right? What were you going to say, Kathy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's really, he's trying to almost instruct himself in how he should be feeling, how he should be going about life in certain circumstances. Good. What else? Anything else that sticks out particularly within uh, this text to you all? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So there's something particular about this last verse, right? There's something that kind of like really comforts us in light of everything that's kind of come before it. It's even in the front of, in the place of my enemies, even in the valley of the shadow of death, even when I'm hungry and even when I'm in need for food and drink, Surely I should know that goodness and mercy will follow me. Good. Okay, well, let's make one more observation uh, from either side of this room. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's totally chill. I love that. The observation that we should see is that this demeanor is that this realization, I should never be in want. 
And it's not just because he should not be in want because he can muster up something in himself. It's all because of that first point. Because the Lord, Yahweh, is his shepherd, he therefore shouldn't want, and therefore this, and therefore that, and therefore this. Do you guys kind of see that rhythm? There's like a thesis statement in that very first line, because the Lord is my shepherd, therefore all these different things. And in conclusion, goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life because of why? Because he's dwelling with Yahweh in the house of his God, right? Good. What were you going to say, Leonard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from beginning to end, this is also kind of an interesting thing textually that we see is because the Lord is his shepherd and because he will be with the Lord forever, all the confidence, everything in life between, he can have confidence in, right? It's because the Lord is with him. And so I think you guys are kind of getting at what's the meaning, what's the main idea of this passage? What's the thrust of this passage that David was trying to get across? I think it's simply that, that the Lord is with those that he loves. It's simply that. Because, I mean, I think you can make it really simply and just be like, the Lord is our shepherd. But I think the overwhelming presence of the Lord is supposed to be kind of the main idea, the thrust of this text. And so if, you know, if I was going to preach this, it'd be something like, because the Lord is with those that he shepherds, we therefore can have confidence from beginning to end, that he will always be with us. Just very simple. Okay? So in light of that, in light of the Lord's presence, what's, let's make like four applications. What are four things that we should do that should change our heart, should instruct our heart? What are four things that we can apply this text to um, in terms of what's going on? So let's just quickly apply these four things real quick. We can trust God. That's one of the first things and most obvious things. And so, Elaine, I'm going to ask you this since you made this application. Uh, does it mean I can only trust God when, when I feel like trusting God? No. When should I trust God? Always, right? doesn't matter if I'm by this still water or if I'm in the valley of the shadow of death or if I'm in the presence of my enemies. I should be able to trust God because he's with me. Good. That's one op- that's one application. Let's get three more. Take everything to God in prayer. Because he's with us, is there anything that we shouldn't like make known to him, right? Um, I think what's really beautiful about this passage and kind of light of what you're talking about, the Lord already knows David's needs, right? He knows when he needs food and drink. He knows when he's going through the shadow of death. He knows whenever he's in the presence of his enemies, and he's always with him. And so he's inviting him to say, hey, like, I need a little help here, right? So we, because of our trust and because of our confidence of Christ being with us, of the Lord being with us, we therefore should take everything to him. He's not surprised by anything. Good. Joel. Yeah, yeah, because this is a really great application. Because where's the shepherd taking him where probably most of us don't want to go? Where, Bill? Where? Yeah, he's thinking about, the Lord might even lead me into death. And yet, his rod and his staff comforts me. So even if he's leading me there, I know that he's with me. Kind of reminds me of another psalm, Psalm 119, right? In the highest of heights and down in the depths of Sheol, you're with me. Good. One more application. How can we live this practically here in Rapid City, 21st century? Dale. Say that one more time. 
Yeah, yeah, we don't have to be afraid. I think that's one of the major things that we can think about, is we are so worried, we're so anxious about everything, and yet because the Lord is with us, we shouldn't have any fear in any context, right? Good. So we've observed, we've done, we've comed uh, the dog out of this passage, and now let's think about how we can pray through this passage. What is our method? So the first thing we ought to do is we ought to read our passage, which we've done. Uh, we've read through it. We've done more than re- read it. We've looked through it. We've tried to interpret it correctly. And the next thing we want to do whenever we're thinking about praying a text, and really this is particularly important with the Psalms, is we want to divide the passage up line by line or phrase by phrase or proposition by proposition. And so what we ought to see here is it's very rhythmic in the Psalms, right? Line is a thought. Next line. That's a different phrase or thought. And so for us, what do you guys think maybe the first line or phrase that we ought to pray is? If we were going to divide this text up, what's that first line that you're like, okay, if I'm going to pray this biblical text, it's going to be this line. What's that first line? Yeah, Jacob. Yeah, so I think we can do it in one of two ways. It's either we divide it up in the Lord is my shepherd, or is the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. I think for most of us, probably what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage like Psalm 23 and, and look, at, look at it and say, okay, the Lord is my shepherd. And then we're just going to pray what comes to mind whenever we read that text. That's the third point in the method. We're going to pray what comes to mind when you read that phrase or that thought or that line. And so, whenever we think about that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, this is how we're going to be thinking about it. And you don't have to bow your head or anything like that. I'm just going to kind of show you how this works. So we've read through the passage, and we see this first line, the Lord is my shepherd. God, you are my shepherd. Lord, you're my leader, you pastor, you comfort me, and you know me, like every shepherd knows his sheep. And so, Father, I pray that I would take confidence in knowing that you watch over me like a good shepherd. And it's simply that. That's how we would pray that first phrase, or first phrase, excuse me. And then, if we moved on to the next thing, which is, I shall not want, we would do it like this. So, Lord, in light of you watching over me and you looking over me, you tell me that I'm not ever going to be in want. I always will have what I need. I always know that because you lead me, because you shepherd me, I don't have to worry about anything in my life. You're always going to provide it. And that's simply what you're going to be doing, just line by line, meditating, thinking through that. One thing I would encourage you to do, and this isn't in the applications, but one thing I would encourage you to do as you're undertaking praying a biblical text, especially as you're doing it as an individual, one thing I would encourage you to do is to write down some of those things that you're praying. So maybe you write, the Lord is my shepherd. Thought, 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 prayer, 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 prayer. And then I shall not want. Lord, there's so many things that I feel like I need and feel like I want, but you know my needs and you know my wants. And so therefore, I don't have to worry about whether or not you actually know them. You, you know them because you're my shepherd. You can kind of walk and work through that particular passage that way. And so, in light of all that, 
um, I just want to take some time just very quickly, and I'm going to actually show you what it's like to pray through this whole text, if that's okay with everybody. Okay, I don't see any, like, angry faces, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Please join me in prayer. God, you are our shepherd. You lead your people. And Lord, because of that, we can know that you know every single thing that we need. Lord, you call us to come to you in prayer and everything. Out of abundance and out of need, you call us to come to you. Because, Lord, you've shown us in the past that you will provide for us. You have made us lie down in green pastures. You have led us to still waters. You have always provided for us because you are a good shepherd. You're not a shepherd that whenever we ask for a legitimate need or, or for drink or for food, Lord, you don't lead us to some poisonous drink or some food that won't sustain us. You lead us to what will fill us. You restore our soul. You restore it in such a way, Lord, that we can now walk in a path of righteousness. We can walk in a way that honors and glorifies you, not for our namesake, O oh Lord, but for yours. You provide everything that we need. And so therefore we can glorify you in that. Lord, we can glorify you even whenever we walk through the darkest times and the most difficult times of our lives. Even whenever we are on the brink of death, we can know that you are with us. We can fear no evil because ultimately there's not anything that we can do to gain confidence but to simply know that you are with us. Lord, we know that you're with us because you have comforted us with your rod and with your staff. You've given us your word. You've given us people. You've given us pastors. You've given us leaders. You've given us the Holy Spirit to know that even in the darkest times of our lives, we can have comfort because you are with us. Lord, it seems like so much in this world, like our enemies are at the table where we ought to be, and it seems like that they're eating the feast that we ought to eat. And yet, Lord, you still prepare a table before me. Not one of earthly good or earthly treasure, but of one of righteousness. Father, you, you prepare a table in such a way that we are anointed like a, a child, a king that represents you. Lord, and your goodness is so abundant that our cup, it overflows. Lord, if we were to think back on all the ways that you provided and all the ways that you've comforted us in the past, we would realize that even in the face of our enemies, you have provided abundantly. Lord, we can know then that your goodness and your mercy, it will follow us all the days of our lives. And Lord, because we had a Savior that was the true shepherd that laid down his life for us, we can know that we will dwell in the house of your holy temple forever. We can rest in knowing that you are with us until we reach there. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as simple as that. Literally, I was just thinking of things, and we just pray those things. And so as we think about just applications of how we ought to pray a biblical text, there's just a few things I want to let you know. First, if you guys are meeting up with people, I would recommend just pick out a psalm and pray through that psalm. 
maybe each of you divide up a verse, divide up a, a phrase. Um, so if Brent and I were praying, I'd say, hey, Brent, um, I'll pray for verse 1. Why don't you pray for verse 2? And maybe you guys only do three or four verses. That's fine. You don't have to pray the whole psalm like I just did. But whenever you're with those people, do that. Another thing that I would just recommend is just use the psalms, okay? Um, there's a great, if you are uh, in touch with all of the uh, technological advances, um, there's a great app called Five Psalms. I'm going to say that one more time. Five Psalms. And what it will give you is five psalms of the day. And so, uh, to kind of give you a preview of how that's used, today is the ninth. And so, if you were going to be looking at five psalms of the day, you would be looking at um, Psalm 9, which is today. I think it's Psalm 39, Psalm 69, Psalm 99, Psalm 129. Those would be your five psalms of the day. And you would do it for each corresponding thing. So, if you did uh, Psalm 10, it'd be Psalm 10, Psalm 40, Psalm 70, so on and so forth, okay? Um, but there's a little kind of pentameter, I don't know what, the, what a good word is there, but groups of five that you would be using. So, but I would recommend that, um, that, particular, um, uh, that particular app. Um, I would also encourage you this summer, maybe even in your groups, we're going to be going over uh, a group of psalms this summer. I think we're going to, I think we're, we'll try to let you know at least in advance what those psalms are going to be. Maybe use those psalms as uh, ways to pray for uh, each other, to pray for your pastors and, and things of that nature. Another thing, if you're nervous about potentially praying through a biblical text, pray a familiar passage. It's really easy for me to do Psalm 23 because I probably read Psalm 23 maybe more than any other passage in the Bible, maybe aside from John 3:16. So start with something that's really familiar to you. You know that Psalm or that uh, passage that will bring up a lot of different things to mind. Okay. The third thing is I want I would encourage you to focus on one Psalm for the whole week, especially as you're getting started up. Start on that one passage. Maybe for some of you, you really enjoy the prayers of Paul in the New Testament. Um, I think one of his best prayers, if you'll turn over to Ephesians 3. In Ephesians 3, from um, verses 14 through 21, you could use that as a rubric. Just start with something that's familiar. It's probably easy to uh, just basically copycat a prayer of somebody that you know for sure is somebody that you would want to uh, copy in your faith in general. So I would encourage you to do something like that, uh, to just focus on maybe Paul's prayer for this particular church for yourself this whole week. Um, why don't we do that? Why don't we look at Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and maybe next week, if Joel, are you preaching? Are you doing the lesson next week? Maybe we start off next week. Uh, if one of you would be so bold and feel so inclined, I would love for you all to start off the class next week by just praying uh, Ephesians three fourteen through twenty one with us next week, um, and we can just do that and to think about how you can put it in your own words. Even if you wanted to write it down throughout the week, that's totally fine. You can do that. Okay. Finally. Fourth application, 
just pray for specific areas that come to mind, and I want to give you a little guidance in that. So in Psalm 23, one of the things that kind of just naturally comes up is you can think about the Trinity a lot, right? We can know that uh, the Lord, Yahweh, the Father, is our shepherd. He's with us always, and he's given us his son, who is the true and better shepherd. And then we can know that we're with the Lord always because he's given us his Holy Spirit, and so we just kind of praise God for um, him giving the Trinity to us, right? Or him being the Trinity, not giving the Trinity, being the Trinity, and we can take delight in that. That's one thing that I kind of thought about. Maybe you think about whenever you're reading a passage like Ephesians three fourteen through 21, you think of different areas like you or your family or your church. Maybe think about whenever you're saying, uh, let's see here. Okay, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, South Canyon Baptist Church, that you, Laura Blosser, my wife, that you, that friend that you're doing this triad with, would be rooted and grounded in love. That's one of the things you can do. Whenever you see those little personal pronouns, see if you can apply those to yourself. This is an okay thing to do. We don't always want to do that whenever we're preaching a text, but we can do this thing called eisegesis whenever we are praying a text. We can insert ourselves into that text and say, Lord, how does this shape our prayer to help us pray to you more? I would encourage you all, as you guys are praying through um, these texts, to pray for your church, pray for those that you're discipling intentionally. Um, I I think it's going to be, I'll I'll just tell you, it's going to be a little awkward uh, at first. Whenever you're in your triad or you're in your small little discipleship group, and you say, okay, hey, will you, John, Samuel, will you pray verse 14, and will you pray verse 15, Tom? Like, it's going to be a little awkward at first, but I promise you, the more that you exercise this, the more that you do this, and the more that you see that the Bible is kind of giving you life and light, right, as Caitlin read, you're going to see how words just kind of flow out of your mouth. I, I kind of picked on Leonard earlier, but one of the best things I love about listening to him pray is he quotes scripture, and then from there, all these other prayer requests kind of come. And it's really amazing. The brother never runs out of things to say. And I mean that in the best way possible. But he's starting with God's word, and then it's like, oh, yeah, Lord, because you are worthy to be praised and because it's good to dwell in your house forever, I pray that your people this morning would dwell in your house forever. I pray for myself that my heart would be right so that I I could praise you rightly. It's just amazing to listen to him pray. And you're going to want to get in that rhythm of, of it as yourself. So follow, follow Leonard uh, as he follows Christ, right? Follow Paul and his prayer in Ephesians 3 as he follows Christ. So with that said, the last thing I want to leave you with is that as we think about prayer and as we think about it being a task that we're maybe not super sure how we ought to pray, how we ought to pray within God's will, or even if we have the time, I would encourage you, before you start your triad or your discipleship group, make that the first thing you do. Just pray very quickly. I can promise you the Lord hears your one-minute prayer. I can promise you that he listens to your 10-second prayer. But do that even before you do anything else. I don't know if Brent said last week that maybe you need to read your Bible before you pray. That's fine. You, you can take that instruction. But I would just encourage you, maybe before you start D group, Lord, help us do this D group well. Amen. Simple as that. He would hear that. Friends, one of the most comforting things you need to know is God doesn't love you because of your eloquence. He doesn't love you because you're a master orator. 
He doesn't love you because you can pick apart a passage well. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he sent his son to die for you. And he's inviting you now to come to him in everything in prayer. Why would we do anything to hold ourselves back from that? Especially whenever he's given us his very word to do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your love and mercy on us. And Lord, what an astounding thing it is that you would invite wretched sinners like us into your family. And not only do you just invite us, you invite us to come and talk to you. The God of the universe, the God that spoke everything into creation, invites us to come to him with everything. And Lord, we can know that if we come to you in everything, we will pray your will because, Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit that intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words to pray what is according to your will. And so, Father, I do just simply ask that you would help us know what is your will. Help us to know what to pray for and what not to pray for. Lord, I pray, again, that we would just be a praying people at South Canyon Baptist Church and that we would take great refuge and great hope and great strength and great faith in knowing that you hear our prayers and you answer our prayers. And Lord, because of that, we can come to you in anything. God, help us to pray, even whenever we don't feel like it, even whenever we don't want to. God, thank you for providing the way that we can communicate and talk to you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you have any questions, I'm going to be up here for a little bit, and we can talk uh, about the method of praying a biblical text, how you can do that in your life group or whatever. Um, Come talk to me. I'll be up here for just the next few minutes, and then we can uh, come back next week, and we're going to specifically look at one of my favorite things to do is how we find the gospel uh, in any particular passage that we're preaching. Joel's going to teach us on that next week. So make sure you come back next week. It's a really great way to really enhance your Bible study. Okay, you guys are dismissed. We'll see you next week. This podcast has been a service of South Canyon Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this production has been an encouragement to you. May God bless you.